So I think for me, generous hospitality is openness and stewardship. My life becomes open to people around me, but also this, I have things to offer, but also willing to receive as well. So again, this is like counter to the idea of like, we better help poor people, right? Which is that whole, like, we have everything and they have nothing. My experience of helping poor people like that is the opposite. My education was, oh, I have a lot to learn. Welcome to the Ending Poverty Together podcast. I'm Eric. And I'm Shalane. We're here to discuss big questions about poverty in bite-sized ways. Today, we're excited to welcome Danielle Strickland to our podcast. Danielle is a spiritual leader, justice advocate, and peacemaker who is making a global impact through establishing justice departments and church plants, launching global anti-trafficking initiatives, and mobilizing people towards a transformational spiritual life. Danielle trains, advocates, and inspires people to live differently through her books, hosting her podcast, being on the teaching team at the Meeting House, and her latest initiative, In My Backyard. Currently based in Toronto, Danielle is the proud mom of three boys. She's the wife to Stephen and is a fun, loving Enneagram 7. Danielle, welcome to our podcast. Hey, great to be with you. Yeah, we're very excited to have you. We appreciate you taking time to join us today. And we're going to jump right in and ask you to complete the sentence, poverty is. Yeah, poverty is disempowerment and disconnection. Mm, Okay. Would you like to expand on that a little bit? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I think sometimes when we hear the word poverty, we just think economics, um, Mm -hmm. which might be more our problem. But there's a different, you know, there's multi-layers of poverty uh, mm-hmm. And the, the best way that I can describe it, I mean, the best way I've ever heard it described is disempowerment. It's the inability to make the choices that you want to, to, to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would just say disconnection because I think those choices are related to relationship. So poverty is always a breakdown or often a breakdown of relationships. There's a guy, Craig Greenfeld, who uh, launched an organization called Alongsiders, which I think is a fantastic name, because mm-hmm. uh, I think that's kind of the calling, you know, very Holy Spirit, the paraclete who comes alongside of us. I think it's a sort of solidarity, um, but then also this accompaniment, like we're doing this together and, and we're in this life together and we need each other. So I also think there's empowering practices, but then there's also this uh, mutuality, which I think would be the heart of uh, the fullness of relationships is that we're helping one another. So I don't think anyone is absolutely poor. Um, I think everybody has something to offer and everybody needs each other. So it's about finding what we have that we can offer and then also receiving what it is that other people have and what they offer. And I think that celebration is the alleviation of poverty. Hmm. That mutuality, that's a beautiful theme that runs through a lot of the discussions that we have. So it's not surprising to me that we have connected organizationally as well, Food for the Hungry, and with you around this new initiative that you have in my backyard, otherwise referred to often as IMBI, which I think is just a fun way to to (laughs) think about it. We would love to hear more about it. And I know you're excited to talk about it. So tell us what IMBI is about. Yeah, so IMBI um, is this culmination of like an innovative solution to, I think, a couple of deep problems. So IMBI is a tiny house initiative, putting tiny houses, building tiny houses in people's backyards. 
Um, and there's a couple different things, like there's an affordability uh, housing crisis across, uh, well, most Western cities, but definitely um, cities in Canada. And I've been involved my whole life with various organizations doing low-income housing and trying to get to some of those solutions. And I've, I've gotten people set up in housing. Uh, the problem is, you know, back to that disconnection piece of poverty is that even if you have a really nice house, but you still remain disconnected from community and not being, you know, mutual in terms of like not giving back, you kind of remain impoverished in a way. And so there's a sense in which I'd really love to meet the need of affordable housing, but also meet the need of this community, this alongside, this togetherness. Uh, also, the other crisis that's, that we're facing is a loneliness crisis, uh, mm -hmm. which is people who have houses. And I would also say maybe a meaning crisis. We see this in rates of anxiety and depression, which I think, again, is a poverty of disconnection. Uh, we've set our, our world up on things like individualism and autonomy, and uh, it's, it's made us poorer. So I think those two things can actually be solved with this kind of innovative new housing possibility of tiny houses and backyards where we recreate uh, the world that we want. So it's kind of, I mean, we're just, you know, we're dreaming, we're creating, now we're building. We have five backyards, so we're starting to pilot. But, um, okay. you know, we're super, I'm super excited. I'm convinced that we need, especially in this season, mm -hmm. we need to do some different, new, innovative things that will not just, you know, solve an economic problem, but will solve a deeper human problem. So you use that phrase, generous hospitality, and obviously it's a key component of IMBI. Could you help us understand exactly what generous hospitality looks like? Yeah, for me, I mean, I think it, uh, generous hospitality runs uh, along this line of, um, uh, of a concept of stewardship. Um, and I think this is really important in a very capitalistic mindset where we've really bought into the idea of ownership. Hmm. Um, but there's something so liberating about realizing that we're stewards of things that God has given, including our property, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we see this um, opposite idea in the way that even suburbs were created and property owners uh, fence off their land, yeah. you know, and I've learned so much from my indigenous brothers and sisters and friends who just sort of have at the core of their understanding of the land and even of the things that they have, this stewardship idea that this has been given to them to use, but also to share. Um, so I think this idea of ownership has had short-term benefits for us. Like we feel sometimes safer, but it's mm. had really long-term, um, you know, poison attached to it. Where again, mm. we've never felt more disconnected. We've never felt more meaningless and we're not able to open our lives. So generous hospitality is a posture of openness, both in receiving. So both in seeing people as people that have something to give. So again, this is like counter to the idea of like, we better help poor people, mm. uh, right? Which is that whole, like, we have everything and they have nothing. Mm -hmm. uh, my experience of helping poor people like that is the opposite. My education was, oh, I have a lot to learn. Like yeah. these people know things and that I need and live in such a way that I need to be liberated mm -hmm. um, from my so-called, you know, evolved self. So I think for me, generous hospitality is openness and stewardship. My life becomes open to people around me, but also this, I have things to offer, but also I'm, I'm also willing to receive as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thanks so much for that, Danielle. 
I've had the privilege of working with you on developing some of the curriculum. And one of the, the stories that you shared was connected to something you just referred to, the the history of the development of the suburbs. I think that would actually be a really beneficial piece for people to just kind of help wrap their head around. How did we get to where we are now with our divided off properties and the ownership piece? Yeah, you know, it's really fascinating because I think most people may be listening to this. Certainly, I just didn't really give it any thought. I just thought we'd been living this way forever. (laughs) Me too. Yeah. So when I researched it, I was like, what? It's only been 70 years. Like the first suburb was created kind of 75 years ago, and it was called Levitt Town. William Levitt is a builder, and Levitt and Sons was the company. And it was a post, you know, war soldiers were coming home. They needed, you know, it was just like affordable housing crisis. They had young families. They needed places to go. And uh, this guy just, you know, he created, uh, he built a way, like he figured out how to make a house in 26 steps. So like not super well-made, but like fast Mm. and economically uh, easy to do. He bought a whole plot of land in uh, New York. It's the first uh, suburb ever created. And uh, he made houses and he figured out how to do it 26 steps. So he trained teams. So he had 26 teams. They would build 36 houses a day. Um, Yeah. And they just built tens of thousands of these houses and created suburbs. And what blows my mind about this, and this is like in the training when it's released, it'll be free for everybody. So have a look because it's fascinating. You can see the pictures of William Levitt. You can see the first suburb. But what has always fascinated me about this is that he just built it. There was nothing there. It's not like this made sense for the way the world worked. There was no schools there. There were no churches there. There was no infrastructure there. You know, like plumbing didn't even exist there until the suburb was made. And then the the way we lived kind of adjusted to this, mm. this solution that was built. And, um, you know, the shadier aspects of the suburbs, especially in the States, of course, is that it was a white-centered solution. Right. And a part of what was driving this, like, white-only place to live in the suburbs was this flight from cities where racial unrest was a real thing. So we all lived together. Mm-hmm. And then really the suburbs was this way of separating ourselves from one another. And, uh, you know, some of the things that's not in the training that I learned about in my research is like a lot of the like keeping up with the Joneses, you know, that idea of competitive neighborliness. So it's like kind of a neighborliness, but with an edge to it. Uh, all happened in suburbia, of course, because now it's like everybody's upwardly mobile. You have your own space, but your space has to be at least as nice as the person behind. So like even within the suburbs, which is already designed exclusively, there's already this like competitive edge, but who can have the nicest home and who can have the nicest yard and who has the latest automobile. And then what's interesting about this season of creation is that the automobile and the television became prominent during this time. You can, you know, you could only live mm-hmm. in a suburb if you could drive there. Cause again, there's no infrastructure, right? So there's no other way to get there. So, and again, you know, people upwardly mobile people who could get loans, which were primarily white people who could just qualify for loans uh, were the ones that got the automobiles and televisions. So you see this and then like leave it to beaver is the height of, you right. know, the perfect family. Little white uh, picket fans. That's yeah. right. And the kids, you know, well behaved and everything contained. And you have this kind of illusion of like a perfect world of self autonomy, like, and also mm. the, the primary, the nuclear family. This is where we also see the dislocation of the extended mm. idea of living together Mm -hmm. Uh, where it's like, we don't need anybody. 
And we see where this has gone in Western society. I mean, not like the racism by itself is like problematic. You know, the lack of diversity in our community is problematic. Mm -hmm. But also the dislocation of family, um, where for years and years and years, we understood that it was helpful to have grandma and grandpa (laughs) nearby, if not in other cultures all around the world who have these extended families who live together. Mm. And uh, sometimes now, 70 years later, we look and go, wow, that's crazy. Uh, although most of us who are struggling, you know, all the statistics say like, you know, moms and dads right now trying to struggle and juggle and like no one has mm-hmm. childcare and people feel stuck and, and, you know, and you're just like, yeah, that's why we're connected. <laughs> we need each other, you know? Yeah. So it's fascinating. Yeah. You know, one of the things that struck me from that information and that thinking about the Levitt suburban build really was the absence of the veranda, how in the past, mm-hmm. our our big place for socialization within our neighborhood was the front yard, mm-hmm. and that when the suburban community was developed, there was a real shift of focus that the kitchen was developed at the back of the house so that children could be watched playing in the backyard. Yeah. A- and just the relational implications of that, how does that connect with even the name of this new initiative, In My Backyard?, yeah, that's a, I mean, that's a brilliant observation. And I think one of the stories I tell in the training that was actually in my own heart, something that was lodged there years ago, we always lived in urban center, centers uh, around the world and urban uh, in, in apartments, and which is shared space, right? So my eldest son lived in, you know, we played at the park. That's what we did. And because uh, we didn't have a backyard. And I remember we moved into our house with the backyard for the first time. And he ran around this backyard. It was a big backyard. And he was all excited. He's like, a backyard, you know, and he's running around. And then he comes to me and he says, this is an amazing backyard. And I said, it really is. And he said, but who will I play with here? Aww. And I remember going, that's a great question. You know, who mm. will you play with here? Like, and, and then you just start extrapolating that, you know, like everybody has their own backyard <laughs> mm-hmm. by themselves. And, you know, like as a kid, you know, it's not really the backyard that you care about. It's the the people you play with that you care about. You know, it's mm-hmm. the actual interaction and stuff. So I think that was a really good, like, so this idea that, like, in my backyard uh, obviously comes out of this community response to change, which is a movement called Not In My Backyard. So NIMBY are people that gather. This is actually quite a prominent group of people all across the world that gather and say that they keep out Uh, things that they don't want in their communities. And they say, not in my backyard. And usually it's around diversity or it's around low-income housing. You know, personally, I've spent, you know, I would spend sober houses. I've created sober houses for people coming out of addiction. And communities would organize and say, not in my backyard. It would be a NIMBY movement. Hmm. This happens all the time. Because, Hmm. of course, people are afraid of difference. They're afraid of people who are poor. They're afraid of, you know, problems. And so we really said, we called it In My Backyard as a direct response <laughs> to NIMBY. Like this is actually, this, uh, these problems that we have are our human problems together. And our backyards are for something. You know, maybe all of this, and I think, you know, most people with their backyards, I mean, they know that this is space and there's something they could do with this, but you know what I mean? They know it's not maximized. They know Mm -hmm. it's not, you know, they're not living their most meaningful life. They know they feel disconnected. So I think this in my backyard is this idea of saying like, uh, this is for something more Mm -hmm. um, than just a big wide space we can run around in and say, who will I play with here? 
So Danielle, obviously it's been a process of these pieces coming together, but I wanted to ask you why these particular resources now and what do you hope to accomplish with them? Yeah, I think, um, like I said earlier, I think we're reaching a point, I think, and I think COVID might have helped us with this, where we're really thinking through how we're living. Mm -hmm. And I think the disconnection we felt this last year and a half, like the real absence of hope, the loneliness and despair that people felt being so disconnected from one another, I think was not just, I think it was an extreme version of what we already feel. And I think we were able to feel it because we were less busy. Uh, We couldn't go places, so we were stuck in this life that we created, which we think is so great, but actually when we were stuck in it, it wasn't so good after all. Hmm. So I think there's an awareness. I think um, for me as a Christian in Canada, I think the church has to demonstrate what it means to live. Like, I think we need to live out the gospel. And the gospel is not just something we proclaim that's super spiritual. The gospel is a way of life where God's kingdom, we can start touching and tasting what reconciliation looks like and what difference looks like. And, you know, you read the picture of like God's kingdom and it's like all different tribes and nations and different people. And we're all together, you know, worshiping God. And there is this beautiful, you know, uh, beautiful verse in Isaiah that says, God puts the lonely in family. Hmm. And uh, I think we need to demonstrate that. I think, I think people are tired of us just talking about the kingdom and we need to see it. So there's a big, you know, for me, there's this real desire to see people of faith live out their faith in real tangible ways in their own community and share countercultural truths, but not like with judgment, but with joy, Mm -hmm. right? Like, Mm -hmm. this is good for us. Like, this is a better way to live. And of course, in the early church, that's how the gospel spread. You know, they were like, what is this? what are these people doing? Like Greeks and Jews and males and females and like, you know, slave owners and slaves and like, they're all equal. Like that was one of the big signs and wonders of the early church. And um, I think we need to do that again. Mm -hmm. And then I also have enough friends who are in affordable housing crisis Mm -hmm. who are also lonely, you know, just really lonely. And I know, I mean, I've been working in sort of in poverty issues for over 25 years. And I know that I know that I know the answer is in family, it's in community, Mm -hmm. it's in belonging, uh, it's in being wanted, it's in being able to contribute to a family. It's, that's the actual deepest answer to the the issue of poverty. The problem is, this is the hardest one, you know, because it actually means we have to change the way that we've designed uh, our lives. So it's messy, it's messy. And it, it requires more than just my pocketbook. My, yes. my dollars. It in- involves my time and my emotional investment and my humility, I think, too, to say I am, I am needy. You yeah. Know, I, it's not just about other. Yes. And also it requires us to loosen our grip on what is ours. Mm-hmm. And I, I think if there's like a, an idolatry of our, our culture, I think ownership is the idol. You know, mm. this is mine. Right. And um, and I think that loosening of this is mine to like, actually, this is God's. And uh, I wonder what he wants to do with it. You know, like that's a whole, that's such a liberating, when you get there, that is such a liberating concept. And that, again, that's the gospel freeing us from being owned by, you know, I often think about the suburbs as this, you know, it was this utopia of freedom, but like we've never been more locked down or afraid. You know, our doors are locked. We don't talk to our neighbors. We're like scared of anybody. <laughs> like, And you're like, what kind of freedom is this? You know, <laughs> right. It's a, it's a bit of a lie. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, it is a bit of a lie. Mm-hmm. To our listeners, we ask you, you know, what questions do you have? Uh, we would love to continue this conversation with you. Feel free to email us at podcast at fhcanada.org. There's so much in this conversation to chew on and to process, and we'd love to be a part of that with you. So feel free to reach out to us by email. Danielle, I, I alluded to this earlier. MB and Food for the Hungry are partnering together on this exciting initiative. I'd love it if you would just speak a little bit to that partnership and just why FH? Why, why did you choose Food for the Hungry to partner with on this? Yeah, that's great. Thanks. Uh, Food for the Hungry, I, I fell in love really as I looked into your organization and some of the principles and strategies and the way that you were working in terms of that over that comprehensive approach to mutuality and generosity. It's just that the, the more I read about Food for the Hungry and your principles of working, the more mm-hmm. it resonated with what it was we were trying to do. Mm-hmm. So it felt it really felt like a God connection, actually. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we felt led to this together. And uh, and I think you know, one of the things Food for Hungry was looking for was more Canadian, like homegrown versions mm-hmm. of this concept of stewardship and partnership and alongside and empowerment and those sort of things. So I felt like, it, you know, it was such a good uh, God bringing people together that wanted, had similar visions of the way that we work. You know, our big feature partnership, of course, is the training uh, sessions mm-hmm. that we've created. So MB and Food for the Hungry have created these five building blocks of MB, which are kind of like principles that we use to build our projects, but actually principles that anybody can use mm-hmm. to start thinking differently and living differently and approaching the way that we come alongside people and welcome people differently. So uh, we talk about dreaming uh, you know, and how like if you can't if you can't dream, it's a sign you're oppressed. If you can't dream of things changing or a different world or a different possibility, uh, if we can't dream of a country where people don't have to sleep on the streets, yeah, you know we're we're suffering from oppression. So just like a reawakening of our dreaming potential, uh, creating, which is around innovation, you know, just mm-hmm. the creativity of like, well, God, we want to do things differently. So again, this is a tiny house movement. It's a different way of approaching life in our backyards. It's a different way of doing mm-hmm. affordable housing we've ever thought of before. So it's like a, a creative uh, innovation uh, stuff, which is true of all new things need to start that way. And then we're actually going to build and right. we're going to build some things and pilot some things together. And we're going to build those things together. And then sharing is one of our building blocks. And we talk a lot about this open handed. We've talked about that in the podcast just like living open-handed and mm-hmm. stop this sort of like, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. And what sharing could do to open us to collaboration together. And then of course the final one, which is like one of my favorites, cause I'm an Enneagram seven is to play. <laughs> right. And that this all celebration co- piece. Yeah. And it comes back to my son going like, who will I play with? What's the yeah. point of all this? If we're not doing this together in celebration and joy and wonder and, so um, that's that's kind of the building blocks. We have a training series and there's exercises. And then we actually have another. So that's a five-part series for anybody. It's completely free. And then if you're a church leader or a church group that wants sort of like a curriculum, you could go through. There's a biblical sort of foundations of these principles that we've also done with the discussion guide. Uh, for mm-hmm. church groups as well. So if that's something that you want to kind of lead your church through, one of our visions is that churches might do this together as a community mm-hmm. uh, and sort of lead the lead the charge on what this could look like to change the way our, our world uh, works. So mm-hmm. it could be more inclusive and welcoming and diverse and uh, fun. <laughs> yeah, 
fun. <laughs> there it is, fun. Yeah. I think a lot I think that's really important to emphasize though because I think a lot of times people when we think about doing work around poverty, we think it just has to be miserable and hard slugging and I think a lot of times we miss that no, we're interacting with people and people genuinely love to have fun together. We do love to play. It's just that oftentimes, like you mentioned, that is there's the oppression that keeps us from doing that. So I love that you're adding that as one of the key building blocks. Yeah, it's great. And I've been doing a deep dive on play, uh, the theology of play by this theologian Moltman, uh, who had a whole book called Theology of Play. And uh, one of the things he says is that when you play, of course, you're present, right? This is why we don't play because we want to, we're dignified. We want to hold ourselves back. But when you actually (laughs) enter into play, you're fully present in that moment. And he says one of the great theological truths of that is that when you're fully present in the moment and you kind of lose yourself in the moment, you're Mm -hmm. actually touching eternity. Uh, You're touching the eternal time, right? The kairos of God. And so he said, it's actually one of the great ways we participate in in eternity is by playing. And I was just like, Mm. bring that on. Bring that on. Yeah. Yeah. I spend Fridays with our um, four and a half year old grandson, and he has taught me more about play Mm -hmm. than I think when I was a parent, I was so busy being a parent. And as a grandparent, there's just this greater capacity to, like you said, be present to sit, yeah. to not feel rushed. And the joy that mm-hmm. has come for me uh, mm-hmm. and what he has taught me is just, it's been really beautiful. And I think it actually is very much about understanding a different part of the nature and character of God absolutely. through that play. Yeah, absolutely. And connection with others too. Like when you play with other people, it changes the dynamic of the relationship. Yes. Uh, and that is phenomenal. So like even sometimes we have newcomers to Canada come over for dinner and we, we usually, I almost always play this game called Quirkle. I don't know if anyone knows this game. Mm-hmm. But what's great about Quirkle, of course, is you don't need to learn English to play Quirkle. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. So it, it, it changes the way the relationships happen even around the table. You know, and like the people who win Quirkle are always the ones who like can't quite speak English yet. So the conversation, but they're like, they're killing it, you know. Yeah. And so it's just great. It just changes the dynamic a lot when we play together. That's brilliant. I love that. Danielle, I happen to know that you are in the process of writing your next book. Um, I would yeah. love to hear maybe more about that book if you're willing to share with us. But also what books or resources would you recommend to our listeners kind of around the topics that we've discussed today? Um, like I said, it could be your own or other things that have really stood out to you or caught your attention. Oh man, there's going to be like such a long list, but um, <laughs> yeah, let me think, let me think about this. So I, you had Cherie White on this podcast mm-hmm. a little while ago and her husband, Aaron, wrote a wonderful book called Recovering. Okay. Uh, which is uh, really from sort of brokenness to beloved community together. Mm. Uh, and that book, I think, has a lot of really beautiful principles um, mm. of walking alongside one another. It's specifically around the recovering community, but at the same time, it's like we're all, you know, recovering. Mm-hmm. And so it's just a beautiful thing. You know, this is going to be a little heavy, but I was rereading Wolf, Miroslav Wolf. Uh, he wrote a like a seminal book, like Last Generation, called Exclusion and Embrace. And he wrote it out of the context of the Serbian-Croatia uh, uh, civil war genocide there. 
mm-hmm. and really about how we as Christians are called to embrace and to welcome. And that, the, you know, the, the biggest temptation is exclusionary postures and language for all obvious reasons. And of course, the way he writes is so deep because he's writing out of this like genuine, like if you go through a, a genocide, you know, you yeah. want to create distance, but it's very powerful around the cross being this like welcoming, mm-hmm. uh, welcoming place. Yeah, those those are the two that came to mind. There's a whole lot more, I'm sure. I'm mm-hmm. just having a quick look at my bookshelf here. <laughs> it's okay. We will list these on our website. So for those who are listening, we'll have the names and the authors there. Do tell us about your most recent book that you have released in 2020, though. I would love to hear a little bit about that. Yeah, actually, this would be a good one for some of the principles we're talking about mm-hmm. here, because I talk a lot about difference and mutuality and not being afraid of each other, mm-hmm. uh, leading different in community and team. Uh, it's around the issue of uh, women and men. So it's called Better Together, How Women and Men Can Heal the Divide and Work Together to Transform the Future. It came out of you know the last couple of years reality of the Me Too movement and so many different leaders, and even still to this day, right, we're still hearing about leaders who... Uh, have led poorly and without Mm -hmm. team and without connection and specifically women in leadership being excluded and feared and villainized uh, and then abused at the Mm -hmm. end, you know, and so I talk a lot about like a new vision um, for how we could work together in a way that would be uh, really good for everyone and very mutual for everybody. So all those issues around mutuality and seeing people through lenses of welcome instead of fear um, and and doing things together, that's the key of that book. So there's lots of principles in there that might be helpful. Mm-hmm. I would highly recommend it. It's it's a great it's a great read. It's also like you've just said, really capturing some really important principles that I think are very foundational to the whole MB movement. I can imagine people who are listening in and saying, "I really want to know more about this." Where can our listeners find more? about the MB movement, be in contact with you, your organization, what's the best place? Yeah, so mbhomes.org is the MB project. So you can go there and you can sign up for more information. Uh, the training videos should be up within a week or two. So hopefully okay. by the time you're listening to this, you'll be able to at least see a few of those and participate. And then you could just, on that site, you could just request the, um, the curriculum for churches and small groups and we can get that to you as well. If you want to track with me, daniellestrickland.com is the best way. All the things tend to be on there. And you can you can have a, a deep dive into uh, my chaotic, beautiful, messy life. Your chaotic, beautiful, messy life is really well captured on Instagram, too. I, yeah. I love following <laughs> you there. So I would encourage our listeners to check you out there as well. Danielle, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate you. We at Food for the Hungry, we're very excited about this partnership. Looking forward to the launch of IMBI and the training and just the whole heart that you have for generous hospitality and bringing people together. Thank you for that. And thank you for your time with us here today. It's a joy to be with you. To explore what your next steps could be or find out more about In My Backyard and what other Canadians are doing about poverty, start by checking out fhcanada.org resources. 